I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. All right, we're live. Hey guys, uh, my name is Mike Winger. Welcome to the Tuesday live stream where we deal with issues of theology and apologetics. That is what Christians believe and why we believe it. Uh, my goal is to help you know how to think biblically about everything. And today we are thinking biblically about something really specific. I often hear people say things like, all sin is really the same. Uh, there's no such thing as one sin that's worse than another sin. Um, this sort of concept I hear a lot, and I think it's actually not true. Now, that's not to say it doesn't have a, a element of truth, like a kernel of truth in it, but it's to say it's just not true. It's not accurate. Like, it's too clumsy to just say this. We need more details. So, um, uh, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, I'm going to first go through the Bible passages that actually deal with this topic, and I'm going to establish with you, biblically, is all sin the same? In what sense could you say it is? In what sense is it not the same? And then after I'm done going through all the biblical passages, I want to talk about why I think it's dangerous when people get this issue wrong. I mean, I think it's not dangerous like they'll lose their salvation dangerous. Dangerous like they make bad life decisions and they do dangerous things in their lives because they don't understand this concept about sin. So we're going to try to think clearly about the issue. And we will, of course, deal with the passage in James that everyone's thinking about where they go, ha, that proves all sin is the same, Mike. Uh, we'll deal with that one as well, but we're going to plod through it with some uh, methodically. We're going to just work through it methodically. And um, let me see real quick. Um, AJ's not here today. His computer uh, went downhill today for whatever reason. He's not here. Kirk is here in the comments section for the live comments. And his main goal there is to shut down uh, anybody causing problems in the comments. I do encourage you to, to comment and to interact with each other there, but I also would prefer it if we would try to keep it on topic. And normally I let you guys ask questions in the comments and then I answer those at the end of the stream. We're going to do it slightly different today. Here's a plan today. Um, I see you guys there in the comments. I can't read while I'm teaching. I'll get through all the content right now. And then at the end of that, I will just look at the comments and you can save your questions and load them in when I get to that at the end. So that's how we're going to handle things today. Once again, uh, grateful to be here. Thank you for joining me. I love having you guys here. Um, and we're going to talk right now about the scriptures. Um, let me see if I correctly set this up. This is actually, I'm going to put the scripture up on the screen for you guys to see. Let me, let me get that going here. This is um, uh, Lagos Bible software. And here we go. What I want to do is actually survey through the Old Testament and New Testament passages related to this topic. Is is all sin the same? Um, I'm having trouble grabbing this to move it. There it is. Okay. And then I'll make this a little bigger for you. How's that? Ooh, that's kind of big. Okay. We'll do this. Okay. Now we're ready to go. All right. We'll cover this passage too. This is where Jesus talks about this stuff. But that's New Testament. First, we're going to start... Old Testament. So, first things first. Um, in the Old Testament law, we, we know that the penalties for sin are not all the same. That is, um, you know, someone commits a, a, an act of wickedness, and depending on what they did, they're punished according to the thing they did. The punishments are not the same. This is the first really important point I'm going to make. In the Old Testament law, God does not punish all sin the same. 
Okay, all sin is not treated the same in the Old Testament. For instance, if you uh, break the Sabbath, you, as a Jewish person, right, under the law, you're, you're an Israeli, you're under the law, you've agreed to follow God's commands, right? Um, you, you break the Sabbath, you commit acts of witchcraft, you commit adultery, death penalty. That's a death penalty offense, correct? But if you steal something, you have different different penalties. So let me take you to uh, Exodus 22 verse 4 that talks about penalty for theft. Now, if theft is the same as adultery, if, if it's the same as murder, then the penalty would be the same, right? Well, it says, if the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. That is to say, the person stole an animal from another Israeli, took it, and then they found the guy with the animal, and he his penalty restored double. So he has, he has to give the guy back two sheep or two oxen, whatever it is. But... There's a different penalty if the animal's killed or sold. So when they go back, uh, this is in verse 1, scroll up a bit here. If a man steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So if I steal your oxen, i got to give you two oxen back, right? If, if I can give you yours back, plus one. If, on the other hand, I kill your oxen, maybe it had sentimental value, maybe you, you know, maybe you invested more into it who knows what the what the results are but i now have to give you five oxen but if it's a sheep i don't have to give you five i just give you four why because these are different crimes and different crimes get different punishments now this may seem really obvious and maybe someone's thinking this doesn't apply i think this totally applies because we're talking about committing crimes sins in the old testament times and god's commands for how those things were handled so let's Let's move forward. Um, you're familiar with the eye for an eye passage. This is one of the most brutally abused verses in the Bible. So Exodus 21, 22, let's look at that and see how it, um, was it 22? Yes. Okay. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, or here I'm going to switch over uh, to the ESV because that's the one I've got in my notes. By the way, um, I'm using the ESV not because I think it is the end-all, be-all, or the best translation available. Actually, what I'm doing is um, I think it's a good translation, and it may be the translation I use as my primary translation in the future, but the only way for me to really know is just by using it a lot. So I'm using the ESV a lot to try to really familiarize myself with a lot of it to make a decision. I may or may not continue with it in the future. I haven't decided yet, just so you know. Um, Exodus 21, 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there's no harm. So this is an accident. There's two men are fighting, but the woman gets involved somehow and she delivers the baby prematurely is the idea. Um, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, he shall pay as the judges determine. So if there's any sort of fine, let the judges decide. It's a flexible punishment. But it goes on. If there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is that verse that's totally abused. Utterly and brutally abused by people when they often talk about this passage of scripture. People usually quote the eye for eye thing like it's a revenge statement. Like, you hurt me, I hurt you back. And Jesus said, not eye for eye, don't hurt. But that's completely wrong. The statement is eye for eye in the sense of courtroom justice. So there's two men are fighting. The woman gets struck and she delivers prematurely. If the baby's dead, this was he committed an abortion, he hit her and killed the child, he gets the death penalty. If the baby's blind, he gets blinded. If the baby's missing a tooth, he's missing a tooth. Basically, 
you know, perfect justice, one for one. What you did to the baby is done to you. Now, if all sin was the same, this is not important. You know, if the baby dies, you could just take out one of his teeth because tooth, death, all sin is the same. What's the point? Who cares? But that's not the statement of what happens. Now, what Jesus was saying when he later on talks about this eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing is he's saying, um, rather than, than everyone getting justice, I'm going to be offering grace. So that doesn't make anything wrong with eye for an eye. What it means is we can't handle it because we're all sinners. We all deserve, you know, punishment in hell. So Christ delivers us from that. He gives us freedom. So here's, here's an example where uh, God's punishment for this sin is like totally measured. It's totally one for one, just whatever is, you know, best for that situation, for that scenario. And if all sin was the same, that punishment just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Then we have um, one more Old Testament passage I'll look at, Deuteronomy 25. Uh, let me bring it up here. And this, I think, is really interesting. It says here, if there's a dispute between men and they come into court uh, and, the, and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves, deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. And it limits it. You can't do more than 40 stripes. This is like sort of a catch-all statement for the uh, for the crimes of the Old Testament. You know, God didn't give one law for every possible crime. That's certainly unreasonable to be able to, to try to do that. So instead, God gives like this catch-all statement. No matter what, what it is, if it doesn't really fit into the things I've already described, let the judge make a good decision. It can only be a certain number of stripes so that it doesn't get beyond abuse. Um, some people quote this as referring to Jesus. It, it we don't know that Jesus received 40 or less than 40 stripes because it was the Romans who striped him and they don't care what Deuteronomy 25 says. Um, but for the Jews, they care. But the, the catch, the phrase I want you to catch is right there at the end of verse two, in proportion to his offense. Different stripes in proportion to his offense, meaning that different offenses receive different punishments because different offenses are greater or lesser. Now, if that's the case in the legal law, then wouldn't it make sense that it's in the case that it's the case with sin in general? That if someone commits adultery on their spouse, it's not the same thing as them stealing a pencil from work. That if someone pirates music and listens, you know, to the new Hillsong CD and they didn't pay for it, that that's not the same as somebody who committed murder. All sins not the same, guys. Like that's what the Old Testament seems to clearly say. And you might at this point, I try to think of, you know, how people would seek to refute me or disagree with me. So um, one passage I think handles a possible refutation is this. Um, the uh, the passage is going to be Hebrews 2.2. But the, the refutation would be something like this. Mike, you know, the Old Testament law, it was just, you know, it was all there symbolically. God was just teaching them things through it. It doesn't actually reveal moral truths, you know, about some sins being worse than others. But I think that's incorrect. For in Hebrews 2.2, it says this. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, this is talking about the Old Testament law, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now, this is the New Testament giving us divine inspired commentary or, or interpretation of the Old Testament. What it says is that every punishment of the Old Testament law was a just retribution. That means it was a morally correct punishment appropriate to the crime. So while the examples that I just gave you of the Old Testament law are very valid and they very much apply to this specific situation. 
Now what I want to do um, is look not at the Old Testament law. We're still actually in the Old Testament. We're not looking at the law now. We're looking at some of the statements God made um, about Old Testament people. So the first one is 1 Kings 16.25. And this is about one of the kings of, of uh, Israel, I think it was. I think it was a king of Israel, now that I'm thinking about it. And um, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. So Omri, this one particular king, he was worse than the other kings. He did more evil than them. Now you might say he just did evil quantity-wise, not quality-wise, right? Like all sin is the same. And therefore for Omri to do more evil, he has to do more sins. So let's say I steal, I kidnap somebody's wife. I kidnap her. Okay, that's one sin. But I steal three pencils from someone else. Well, now that's three sins. So the three pencils, that's worse than the one wife. That would be uh, quantity-wise. But if it's quality-wise that Omri committed more sin than worse, worse wickedness, then it would just be that he did things that were, you know, qualitatively worse. I think that makes a lot more sense. And that the all sin is identical concept just falls apart. Like it just doesn't make any sense when you really look at life. You certainly don't want people, um, you know, if someone says, uh, I have a choice, you know, I'll, I'll steal two things from you or I'll stab you once in the gut with a knife. Like you're obviously going to go, one of those is worse. And it's not just because of the number of times, right? This is, this is a quality issue, not just a quantity issue. Another example is Jeremiah chapter seven, Jeremiah seven twenty four, And it says, but they did not obey nor incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. They did worse than their fathers. And this seems to be a qualitative statement about the quality of their sin. It was worse than their fathers, as opposed to the quantity of sins. Now, to be sure, quantity of sin matters also. But if all sin is identical, then quantity is the only thing that matters, right? Or do you even go so far as to think that a thousand sins is the same as one of the same sin? A thousand murders is the same as one murder. Like, I I don't know if anybody would go that far. But if you do, I I think that you're you're incorrect and you're not being biblical. Um, Now let's look at a New Testament passage, Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28... Here it is. In Hebrews 10, 28, it says, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, you know what we're talking about, those death penalties in the Old Testament law. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? This is very clear. That the rejection of Mosaic law receives a just death penalty, but the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ receives a just eternal condemnation that is even worse, even worse sin than the rejection of the Mosaic law. So there's definitely a, I'm just, I'm going to say this. I know this is not popular. There is definitely a hierarchy of what sins are worse than others. Absolutely. That seems to be a biblical truth. And you might go, but Mike, but Jesus well, let's talk about Jesus. Actually, uh, Jesus makes this case even stronger than I have so far. So let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. In Matthew eleven twenty, 20, 
Jesus is talking to cities where he's already preached and the, the gospels that he's preaching has gone out into their midst and they rejected it. So it says in verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works has been, had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Those were two of the cities where he had already done these mighty works. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more, t- more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Did you catch that? Like, judgment is going to be worse for Tyre and Sidon or for, excuse me, for Chorazin and Bethsaida than it is for Tyre and Sidon. That's pretty significant if you ask me. Um, hold on, I'm getting a notification from my computer system that there's too much going on. So what I'm going to do is try and close out a couple things I might not need to have open and make sure that we can continue on with the stream. Hopefully you guys are not experiencing any troubles. Are you able to receive the stream okay? Does everything look good to you? Let me know in the comments. I'll take a look in a minute. Um, Okay, so according to Jesus, there's different degrees of punishment. And this is important in Matthew 11. Jesus is talking about future punishment. It's not the past. It will be more tolerable in the day of judgment as a, as a future thing. There's a future day of judgment. And the people of Tyre and Sidon will experience um, a lower you know, condemnation or lower punishment. Okay, thank you. You guys say it's good. Uh, I appreciate that. Glad to hear it. Hopefully it stays that way. Um, Okay, so there, there's Jesus talking about measured punishments, which now we're, now we're saying, wow, so not only is not all sin the same, but, but not all punishment for sin is the same. Hmm. Meaning that there, there's, there's indeed, any sin leads to condemnation, eternity apart from God, hell, so to speak, right? But not all people experience the same thing when that happens to them. That's interesting. Let's keep going. Um... The next passage is in uh, John 19, verses 7 through 11. So let me bring that up for you to see. In John 19, 7, this is where Jesus is standing before Pilate. He's he's experiencing uh, Pilate's uh, uh, judgment over Jesus. And it says, The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. So they're trying to convince Pilate to kill Jesus. They want to get him crucified. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where uh, are you from? <laughs> he's, I th- he's worried, I think, that what's going on with this Jesus? He realizes now he's in a plot against this, this person, Jesus. And so he's trying to figure out what's really going on. Um, but Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate, I think, gets irritated. So he says in verse 10, because Jesus won't answer him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, and listen to these words, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, and here's the part that really pertains to our question today, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He who delivered me over to you has what? The greater sin. The greater, singular, singular, one sin. So it's not quantity of sin that's greater. It's quality of sin. Pilate, if you go through with this and you condemn me to preserve your own self and all that, which we knew was going to happen prophetically, but Pilate here has not, not made that judgment yet. And, and Jesus tells him that is a sin, but guess what's worse? The guy who delivered me over to you. Well, that was Judas. That was Judas. And so 
Judas's sin is worse than Pilate's sin. Here's Jesus making a judgment call between one sin being uh, not as bad, or or perhaps you just say another sin being worse than the other. Either way, there's there's something of a hierarchy going on here. Um, that's just in the text. Um, let's see. There's another verse I'd like to take you to, and that's Luke chapter 12, verse 47 through 48. Now, let me say this real quick. If you're joining me and you joined the stream a little bit late, you can actually click back on YouTube. You can actually go to the beginning of the stream and you can watch from the start in case you're like, I'm missing out, I'm missing out. There's, it's right there, that little red line. You know, you just go back and click it and you can uh, catch the beginning so you know where we're at and get caught up right with us. Um, I do that when I watch streams and then I'll put it on like one and a half times speed so I can get caught up. <laughs> um, so, and I, I, don't, I don't think that's such a bad idea to do that. Okay, so this passage, Luke 12, 47... Jesus tells a parable about two men. One, one is a wicked servant who's lazy and he, and he does bad things. And it says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, this is one of the parables of Jesus. Granted, it's, it's, it's confusing. It's hard to understand sometimes the parables. Jesus intended them to be like a riddle, riddly, like a bit of a riddle to try to figure out. They're not always meant to be so easy to, to grasp. But one of the concepts we get from this is that the person who did what was wrong and knew it was wrong. So they did the same act, the same sinful act but one knew it was wrong. He's going to be punished in a greater way. The one who really didn't know it was more ignorance and deception, he will be punished. He's still punished. He's not off the hook because he didn't know, but he's punished less. So in the hierarchy of, of sin, I'm going to use that terminology because um, I feel like it's so clear, um, not because I so much like it, uh, but I feel like it's very clear. So there's a hierarchy of sin. And please stick with me to the end because I want to protect you from abusing this information uh, or people abusing it to you. Um, but in that hierarchy, the, there is not only some sins are worse than others, but situationally, sometimes the same sin can be worse when a guy does it with knowledge versus a guy did it in ignorance. Now we get this manslaughter versus murder. You know, I, I, I looked down to check my phone and I hit that guy and, and he died versus I saw him and I turned the wheel and I ran into him on purpose. Like, obviously there's a difference, you know, there's, we have a hierarchy that we understand naturally in and of ourselves as well. Um, let's see. So that's punishment according to knowledge. And then we'll look now, Revelation 20, verse 13. I think this kind of rounds it out. And then I'm going to look at verses where people would object. Revelation 20, 13. With all that in mind, all that understanding of Old and New Testament, Jesus' words, Hebrews, that sort of thing. This talks about future judgment here in Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Future judgment for the unsaved. This is the unsaved dead. They're brought back for judgment long after their deaths to, for final judgment. And they're judged individually, each one. How are they judged? According to what they had done. So God's judgment of hell like hell might be a, a blanket term for where everyone who is apart from Christ goes, but what the experience of judgment is like individually for you and me, if we're out of Christ, if we're not in Christ, is a tailored judgment specific to the sins of the person. That's what I get from the text of scripture. Tailored judgment, each one, 
measured individually based upon the life they lived, where my motives, my knowledge, and my abilities are all factored in along with the sin that I committed when God knows the exact weight of wickedness that each sin has. That seems to be a consistent view. And I'll tell you what, I happen to like that. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. When I, when I ask myself, you know, in the world, if people act like all sin is the same, they do weird, wacky things, right? But Christians, sometimes we say all sin is the same. And I think it causes us to do weird, wacky things. It's not quite biblically accurate. So now uh, some of you are just like, you're, you're burning to find out. What about James, Mike? What about the passages that seem to refute me? Let's go to them now. So James chapter 2, James 2, verse 11, um, or I'll, verse 10, excuse me. So for whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. This is James 2.10 to me. I think this is the number one verse where where this is going to go down. Um, um, if you're asking about the Q&A, guys, remember, save your questions. Ask them at the very end. Don't ask them now. And then I'll just watch the comment section for that uh, later on. That's how we're doing it today. A little different today. Um, so this is the verse that, that's used. This is the passage, James 2.10. If you keep the whole law, but you fail in one point, you're guilty of all of it. Isn't that like saying all sin is the same? And I just want to pause and say, no, it's not the same. Like, first off, let's just acknowledge it doesn't say all sin is the same, does it? No, it doesn't. What does it say? If you've guilt, you're guilty in one point of the law, then you failed the whole law. You, you broke the whole law. That's the idea. You're guilty of all of it. So if you were to take this in a clumsy way, you wouldn't say all sin is the same. You would actually say, if you've stolen a pencil, you're guilty of murder, rape, adultery, blasphemy, witchcraft, um, you know, all of it. You've, you've done, you've broken everything, every moral possible sin, you've committed all of them. But does all mean all as a totality or all as in each individual one? And that's where I think the, the, the switcheroo comes in this case. Um, if I interpret all here, he, who's, he's guilty of all as in each individual sin, then I think if I've stolen a pencil, I've also committed murder and adultery and rape and, and you name it, um, but if I interpret it instead as being all as in a totality, then I understand it more clearly. And that's what verse 11 supports. Verse 11 supports this view that all means you've broken the law and the law's ability to save you is gone. You, have, you are guilty of being a law breaker. You're not guilty of breaking every individual law. You're guilty of breaking the law as a whole, as a whole. You know, if I have a glass and I just make one crack in it, I'm guilty of breaking the whole glass. That's how this works. Verse 11, it explains it in more detail. For he who said, do not commit adultery, and I'm going to highlight this, he. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. This is to say, even the theft of the pencil is still a sin against the one who said, don't steal. The committing of adultery is a sin against the one who said, don't commit adultery. That is to say, sin is personal. When, when I sin, I've sinned against God who has commanded all of these moral laws for us. I've sinned against him personally. There isn't just a list of rules of good and right and wrong things. There is the one who has provided that for us in his very character and in his commands to us. So that when I sin, when I fall short, I fall short of God's glory, like it says in Romans. So I'm a lawbreaker. If I break one sin, I have broken the law. 
And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and saw that they were worshiping the golden calf, he took the, the tablets and threw them down and they were broken on the ground. Did they break every one of the commandments individually? No, but they had broken the law, so to speak. So hopefully that makes sense of the James 2 passage. Any sin is a terrible violation against a glorious God. I have personally offended the God of the universe. That's, that's a big deal. And so here's where I want to offer my first protection for you, right? First protection is this. Just because all sin's not the same doesn't mean there's such a thing as a small sin, right? There's no sin is small because any sin is a sin against glorious, holy, righteous God almighty. So of course, any sin is a big deal. There's no such thing as a small sin. And that's the mistake that I hear people fall into. Well, if all sin is not the same, no, no, all sin is deplorably wicked, but yet within them all being terribly evil, there is yet some sin that is much worse than other sin. And, um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, all heart attacks are not the same, but they're all a really big deal. (laughs) And in the same sense, all sin's not the same, but it's all a very big deal. It's all very wicked in and of itself. Um, Jesus also, another passage some people bring up, um, Jesus also says, you know, if you, uh, Matthew 5, 27, if you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. This is one of the, the statements of Christ. Now, that's true. If you look with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. But now here's the question. Let's say that a husband looks with lust. He's committed adultery in his heart. Wicked, wicked sin. But then he goes out and he commits adultery with the woman. And because he thinks all sin is the same, he's thinking, you know, I already committed adultery in my heart. Why not just go ahead and go through with it? All sin is the same anyways. Do you follow that logic? If you don't, if you think I'm being silly here, then you agree with me that all sin is not the same. Absolutely not the same. Adultery in the heart and adultery with the body are two different things, aren't they? Jesus is really just saying, even when you do it in your heart, it's still wrong. It's still a sin against God. That's the real point he's making there. This is just common sense, I think, um, being applied here to our theology. The uh, the consequences, I'll take your guys' questions in about two or three minutes here, but the uh, maybe five minutes. The consequences of getting this wrong are pretty extreme in my opinion. I, I have some friends when I was a kid. I was probably 19 or 20. And two people I knew um, fornicated together. And I found out about it afterwards. One of them felt bad. And so they came and told me and were like, yeah, we did this and... And I was like, well, why did you do that? You're, you're, they say they're Christians and all that. And I was like, well, why? And um, she said, they just wanted to know. Wanted to know what it felt like and what it was like and this and that. And and I was just really grieved in my heart. I thought it was so sad. Um, and I thought, you know, do I even have to like really give her a hard time? She knows how wrong this is, right? And so I didn't wasn't sure, should I push her on this? Like, I don't know how to handle this. I'm just a teenager myself. I don't really know how to handle the situation. And And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, well, all sin is the same. So us doing that was really like no different than me stealing a pencil. And that's when I started thinking, there's no way that's true. (laughs) There's no way that that's true. Of course, it's not the same. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe it is. It talks about how sexual sin in particular is worse than other kinds of sins. Because it's a sin against our own body. It says all other sins we do outwardly, um, but but sexual sin is a sin against your own body. 
Um, and the danger of the two becoming one is, 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 is as beautiful as it is in marriage. It's that much more reckless and dangerous and wicked outside of that, that environment. The other time I hear this phrase used wrongly, all sin is the same, is when it comes to the topic of homosexuality. Mike, why is the church obsessed with homosexuality? First off, most Christians I know avoid talking about the issue. They're not obsessed with it at all. Um, but then they go on to complain. You know, it's really, it's, and it's always gluttony. I don't know why. I'm just telling, reporting what I hear. For some, Somehow homosexuality is always compared to gluttony, like the two go together, like brothers and sisters. And they're like, you know, I don't hear preachers talking about gluttony. And by the way, we should. We should deal with the issue of gluttony and overindulgence and indulging the flesh in every capacity, of course. But they're not the same. I'm sorry, but overeating and, and same-sex sexual sin are not the same at all. Like, that's just not, that's not true. And I know I'm, I'm not politically correct here. But hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I'm never going to be politically correct. Like, I hold to a gospel where only the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive us of our sins. All other religions are false and all these other things that are offensive to people. That's fine. So I, I'm never going to please them. I'm never going to be that, that person who can reach across every border because I will not reach across without Jesus. But, um, but yeah, the, the idea that we're going to make homosexuality a lesser sin because we're going to compare it to gluttony or compare it to, um, you name it, gossip or something like that. No, sexual sin is of a unique nature. According to the Bible, we should treat it like it is. So all sin is terribly wicked, but some sin is much, much worse. We fall into error when we do one of two things. We, we, um, we say all sin is the same, and, and that's an error. That's an error which always leads to bad things, in my opinion. Always leads to minimizing sin. And we fall into another error when we recognize that sin is different, but we act like there's this category where there's like sort of sinful sins, you know? white lies. Oh, it's the white lie. It's the white lie. What does that even mean? You know? <laughs> um, and we, and we harden our conscience when we think that some of our wickedness is only a little bit wicked. It's like cute wicked. Oh, it's wicked. And it's kind of in a cute way. No, it's like sin is sin. It's all terribly bad, but no, not all sin is the same. All right. So this was, this was what I wanted to talk about today. I, I just wanted to get this out there. This has been on my list of videos to do for a long time. So I thought today would be a good chance to get it out there. It's not super complicated stuff, but I wanted to like build a solid biblical case so that hopefully we can, uh, we can help put an end to the silliness of saying that every sin is identical. Um, and we all know it's silly. As soon as people sin against us, we know that it's not all the same. Um, I have a couple announcements to make. Um, I did a, and then I'll take your guys' questions in the comments section. I did an interview today on um, on a YouTube channel called Doreen Virtue, D-O-R-E-E-N, and the word virtue, Doreen Virtue. And Doreen is this really wonderful lady who is a new age teacher who sold a lot of books and content in the new age world. And she came to Christ and you can actually see her journey coming to Christ. Her old, Her older videos from like a year ago, or maybe it's several months back when she was newer in the Lord and more recently come to Christ. And then the newer videos where she's like really pulled herself. She's kind of been washed clean of all that new age stuff. And uh, it's really beautiful to see. And her and uh, Melissa are, are two ladies who are on that YouTube channel preaching Christ to the new age audience. Well, they did an interview with me. They invited me on to talk and that interview is linked in the video description here. If you'd like to watch it, you're welcome to do that. It was really cool. Really neat to talk to them. I highly recommend you go subscribe to her channel and offer her some love and support for what she's doing. I think it's fantastic. Um, also, I, I I did a poll on my YouTube channel where I talked about doing something else today. I was going to do this this 
article from an atheist where I would unpack what was wrong with this atheist article. So let me give you the backstory real quick and I'll tell why I did not do this for those who are wondering. Um, I asked you guys, should I do this article? And about 60% said yes and 40% said no. And I just, yeah, I, I, I went with a 40 on this one actually. I wanted an overwhelming support, but I didn't get it. Um, but the thing is, I did this, these two videos on Arn Ra refuting him. Then in response, this other atheist wrote a blog about me and I thought, ooh, let me, you know, I'm chasing down the arguments, I'm helping equip Christians. But as I was preparing to answer the blog, I realized that a lot of it was just misrepresenting me. Like he quotes me as I said something about the Masoretic text and he quotes it like I said the Messianic text. I don't even know what that is. Um, he just like misquotes me and I find I have to repeat my old points again, which isn't fruitful for you. You already heard me say that point before. And, um, and so I gave it a lot of thought and decided it was probably better not to do it. So hopefully this has been fruitful. Um, okay. Now I'm doing your guys' questions, uh, so let me bring out the chat for myself um, where I can see it more easily, and I would like to answer your guys' questions. So you can put them into the uh, comment section uh, right now, and I'll grab as many as I'm able to. So uh, Juan uh, Polgarin says, hey Mike, talking about differences in sin, what are your thoughts on the unforgivable sin and what the scripture means? I've, I've been asked about this before. I'm not fully settled on my own opinion on that passage, on that, that sin against the Holy Spirit. I will say we should be observant uh, of a couple things. Um, that the scenario Jesus is in, there's a specific thing going on. He's, he casts out demons. They say he does it by the power of Satan. And then he, t then he warns them. You know, I'll, you know, you'll be forgiven if you've spoken a word against me, but you will not if you've blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean anything you say bad about the Holy Spirit? Or does that mean um, uh, specifically calling the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan? Or uh, is, it, is it like a continual act? Is it a continual act? You're, you're continuing to resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I've spent time on the passage. I, I just don't feel settled on it. So I don't want to tell you what to believe on something I'm not 100% settled on. Let's see. Where is another one? Question from you guys. Okay. Um, seeking the narrow way says, Mike, do you believe smoking is a sin? Um, I think it depends. Uh, I've given, I actually have really given that some thought. I used to think all smoking was just sinful. And if you feel that way, then it's all sinful for you, for sure. Because follow your conscience, Romans 14. Everybody needs to read and understand Romans 14 on the conscience. So yeah, you don't want to violate that, but, but is all smoking sinful? Well, let me throw out some scenarios where this might be hard to, hard to determine. Um, let's say that somebody, um, smokes a cigarette and they have one cigarette once a year on the anniversary of whatever, when their first kid was born, when they, when their favorite football team won, won Super Bowl or something like that. Um, one cigarette once a year, are you like, is that sinful? Like, well, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, you're not addicted. You're not even hurting your body at one a year like that. I don't think it's hurting the body as far as I know. But then you have someone else who's like, well, I have one a day. Oh, you have one. A okay. Every day you smoke. Okay. Well, but it's only one cigarette. Is that, I don't know. That's, that's a little, that's a little, yeah, I don't know. Then you have someone who smokes a pack a day and they're literally killing themselves with their smoking habits. They're totally addicted. And the Bible talks about addiction and, you know, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought into the power of anything. First Corinthians six. Um, so now I go clearly a sin. You are addicted to a self-destructive substance that you keep on ingesting. That's 
that's a sin. Like, I get it. Okay, no problem. Then you have someone else who smokes a pipe, and they have a pipe once a month, and they uh, they don't inhale the smoke, and they don't do it more than once a month. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say that that guy's in sin because I don't know that there's anything. He's not getting high off the stuff. He's not losing his sobriety in the practice of it. So I, I don't I don't think that I think some smoking is a sin and some smoking is not. I guess would be my my answer for that. Um, okay, I'll, let me uh, get another question. Let's see. Um, John Marco says, does hell bend the punishment depending on the sin? And I think the answer, I think the answer is probably yes. Um, but yeah, one of these days I'm going to do some stuff on the topic of hell, like biblical survey of the teaching on the topic of hell. But, but I think in general, yes, the punishment's different. Jesus spoke about rated punishments or graded punishment for these different people groups, depending on their experiences. And I think that God factors all that stuff in. Um, Ben Howell says, are you coming to Georgia soon? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of Ben. <laughs> um, nope, nope. But I've had Georgia on my mind. No, uh, actually I haven't. I just thought of that song. Um, let's see. Uh, Mike, could you consider doing a video on Joel Osteen and why his teachings are dangerous? I'll definitely think about it. Um, mainly not cause I have anything against the guy. But mainly because he's so influential. He's impacting a lot of people and a lot of the body of Christ and a lot of others that maybe a thoughtful, loving, but honest response to his teaching would be good. In order to, to do this, I'd have to sit down and listen to a whole bunch of Joel Osteen stuff, and I haven't done that. So I've only heard snippets here and there, and um, I would want to really pay attention to his teaching, understand it well, before I would do any kind of response to it. Um, Let's see. Another question from Leo Lynch says, would the people who jumped out of the buildings during 9-11 count as suicide? Um, I don't think so. Um, and let me explain why. I have given this thought. I'm not just answering like without any consideration here. But um, uh, when, if someone's in, on 9-11, for those who don't know, I remember it. I remember 9-11. And <clears throat> the buildings were on fire and the fires were rising and the smoke was filling the rooms. And there's people who... Um, they were driven towards the windows to get away from the smoke. And some of them, with the heat and the degrees of smoke and how hot it was, a fire was coming at them, they chose to jump out the windows. They couldn't get to the stairways. The stairways were collapsed or, or blocked or otherwise blocked by fire. So some of them actually jumped off of the building. It was, it was horrific. We saw it all in the news. Um, they jumped off of the buildings in order to avoid the fire. Was that suicide? I, I think absolutely not. Um, what they were doing was they chose the path of greatest life, right? There's a fire coming that will burn me, but out the window, I'm jumping. Maybe there's this, you know, nil chance that I'll survive, but I'll survive better than the fire, at least while I'm falling down. And then it will be a much better experience than the fire. So I think what they did was they picked the, the, the least terrible option they had. And I don't think there was any sin in that particular decision. Um, um, Chris Buckland asked me, uh, what do you think of James White's response to your Calvinism video? I haven't had the chance to watch it. I have had the chance to watch it, and I loved that he did it in a spirit of brotherhood, which is very important to me to preserve that amongst Christians. And um, I, I may do a response, but it won't be, it won't be soon. Right now, I'm, my extra time is all spent preparing for a debate I'm having on November 1st. 
uh, on the topic of the resurrection of Jesus, evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm actually having a debate with a skeptic on that issue. So I just don't have time to work on, you know, or rebuttal to James White, where I would want to spend a great deal of time thoughtfully working through the issues, hearing what he has to say, seeing if I have correction for my own life on that issue, um, as well as uh, looking through more material on Calvinism than what he's already um, uh, he's asked me, James White asked me if I would read the bondage of the will and some things like that. So I'm going to, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to do all that before I respond. So it's going to be a while before you hear from me on that topic. Um, first, last asked a question. Hey, Mike, I was wondering if Mary was a virgin because some say it was an error in translation. I think that's a, conf a, a misunderstanding that's going on there for, for you first, last. Um, we know for sure in the new Testament it teaches that Mary was a virgin. So if you believe the Bible, you know, if you believe the Bible's the word of God, then Mary was absolutely, in, in your head, you're thinking Mary was absolutely a virgin. I'll say, in fact, in reality, she was a virgin. I, I'm saying that um, there's no issue of translation in the New Testament. That's not a question. But in the Isaiah 714 passage, where it says, behold, the virgin shall conceive, the word there, the, there's a debate over where that, whether that word, I think it's Alma in the Hebrew, whether that means, is it Alma? I'm trying to, or is it Bethula? Those are the two words. It's not off the top of my head. I don't remember which one's which, but one of them, uh, they're saying, is that really translated virgin properly? I think a strong case can be made uh, in, in the Hebrew language that it was meant as virgin. And that is certainly how the New Testament writers understood it. Um, but maybe I'll make a video on that sometime. Um, so I will say New Testament, absolutely clear. Old Testament, Isaiah, there's a debate on that passage, though I think virgin is the term that wins the debate. Um, let's see. There's another question from, oh, there's a lot of questions. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm missing some of your guys' questions here. Um, do my best. Um, Nick, Nicholas DeHaan says, wouldn't falling to the ground also be a less painful death than literal burning? I would probably think so in that situation. So I'd probably choose to jump than burn. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I 100% sympathize with the people who made that decision. And um, oh, can you imagine having to make a choice like that? Yeah. Um, okay, you're looking for another question mark. Uh, is sin always, from John Marcos, is sin always sinful or was it placed to guide humans? A hypothetical. If Adam and Eve didn't sin, how would the world be? Um, I think sin is always sinful. Um, but that's kind of a tautology, right? Like I'm kind of just saying... Like if sin's not sinful, then whatever you did wasn't sin. So, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of that way. Um, there are some complicated moral situations we get into where, where the question is, what's the right thing to do here? But we don't think there is no right thing or that there is no wrong thing. Um, sin is always sinful. Um, I don't think that it was placed here to guide humans in that sense. I don't, sin is not good. God works good through evil, but that doesn't make evil into good somehow. It's interesting that in Mormonism, you ask about Adam and Eve, in Mormon theology, Adam and Eve, eating of the tree was a good thing because according to the Mormon teaching, and you get this, I think in the Joseph Smith translation, he may have actually smuggled some of this into Genesis. Um, but you get this uh, in the Mormon teaching where Adam and Eve are like, it's good that they ate the fruit because according to Mormon t theology, they wouldn't even know how to procreate physically unless they ate the fruit. What's weird about this is, you know, you might be like, wait, what? When you realize that what they're assuming is that procreation, a man and woman together, is somehow sinful. 
Because the thing Adam and Eve didn't know was sin, right? They didn't know good and evil, like as a combined thing. They didn't understand that. Um, but Adam knew how to like till the ground. He knew how to talk. He had language. Of course, he was able to procreate with his wife. I think they were smart enough to figure that out without having to eat the fruit of the tree. So yeah, um, how would the world be? That's a great hypothetical, probably for some other video. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Um, Sarah Bochamp says, um, <clears throat> oh, and my screen just refreshed. So, sorry, Sarah, I have no idea where your question went. It just popped me down to the bottom of all the questions. Okay, I'll just, I'll take it. Um, let's see, another question. Um, looks like you guys are talking to each other as much as you're talking to me. I'm trying to not read questions that are for other people. Um, Pinkaboo says, uh, in, in fact, that helps if you put at Mike Winger, that helps me know it's, I'll look for that now. I'll look for the at Mike Winger cause it shows up orange on my screen and I can find it easily. Pinkaboo says, I'm, am I separated from God when I sin in my daily life? Um, I think the phrase separated from God is probably a reckless phrase to you. So I won't use that because it implies as though you, that you've like lost your salvation. But if you're a Christian, if you're saved and you sin, I do think there's a relational damage that happens in your walk with God. I think this is consistent uh, in the New Testament where he's telling people to, re to repent. Um, in in uh, the letters to the churches where Jesus is like, hey, repent, you know, I will buy from me, you know, uh, in Laodicea, he, buy from me um, gold refined in the fire and, and white garments that you may be clothed in. The implication is that there's a relational damage that sin does in my walk with God. And I'll tell you, that's what it feels like in my life when I sin. I feel like my heart and my walk with God is damaged in my sin. And so the, the cure is, of course, to repent. But that doesn't mean that my salvation is lost. Um, okay, next question here. Um, from Jacques Michael. Um, says, my sister died when she was eight months old. Is she going to heaven? Um, I think so, Jacques. Uh I think, or is it Jack? I don't know. But Jacques, I, I believe that, or is it Jackie? I don't know. I'm sorry if I don't know. I can't tell. And I, I, I can't see the image because it's so tiny on my screen. Um, I believe so. I believe a child like that goes to heaven. That's my personal conviction on the topic. I think that um, David talks about this. He could go to be with his child who had died, but he couldn't bring his child back. And I think he was, I think David believed in the afterlife. So I think he was talking about him having his hope for the future. And I think that they're innocent um, by means of being at such a young age. There's nothing to be accountable for, for that eight-month-old. Um, okay, lots of questions. Um, let's see. Sarah, here's your question. Um, will believers be punished at all like the Luke passage you showed us? Or is that just for those not covered by Jesus? I think that, um, that uh, believers will not be punished, but we will possibly experience loss. First Corinthians, I think it's chapter three talks about this, that our, not me, but my works will be tested. Now this is, there's two very different judgments. One for those in Christ, one for those not in Christ, right? Not in Christ, punished according to my wickedness. In Christ, judged for rewards. It's a different kind of judgment. And the purpose is different. Some call it the Bama seat, right? The, the, the seat for, the place you go to receive rewards at the end of a race or at the end of a competition. Now, if I have faltered in my Christian life, Many of those things I might have got rewards for maybe burned up and lost. And so the passage says, he himself, if, if you suffer loss, you will be saved yet as through a fire or as though you've lost everything you owned in a fire, but you are still saved. Um, so it's more about losing rewards than it is receiving punishment, I think. 
Um, let's see, more questions. I'll take just a, a, a few more here. Um, Colin Lehman says, would I do a dispensationalism versus covenant theology video? I actually really want to do that, um, but I'm not ready to do that yet. I, I do a lot of prep usually for my content and I have a lot more prep to do on that topic before I would be able to do that. Catherine Bars uh, says, would you do a video on divorce? Uh, I have that on my list as well. I want to talk about marriage and divorce. and But uh, but again, I'm asking you guys to be really patient with me because some of this stuff might be a year, two years out because I have a really long list. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Let's see. I'm just going to scroll down to the fresh questions because I'm getting lost here. Um Oh, MV, it's funny, MV, I didn't see your question, but I see you saying that you seem to be bothered that I didn't answer your question. I, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm not skipping questions so much as I just can't read everything that's being written in the comments section. So hopefully you can understand. Try to be me for a minute and answer all this stuff. <laughs> Good luck. Um, so if you ask again, maybe I'll be able to get to it if I see it. Um, Skeptical Jed says, is doubt a sin? I feel like my doubt may end up being my demise. Um... Good question, Jed. Um, I think that doubt can be a sin and doubt cannot be a sin. I think it really depends kind of situationally, you know. Um, but I will say this. Doubt and faith can coexist at the same time in the same guy. And I would encourage you that faith is a choice. Um, and doubt is often a feeling, right? Doubt sometimes is a feeling. And I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I think this helps me at least. Doubt's often a feeling, whereas faith, belief is a decision. And unbelief is also a decision. I choose to not believe it. I choose to believe. And I would encourage you with that, hoping that it might help you. Um, remember the scripture where the, the man said to Jesus, help, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus responded by healing. And so the, the implication was that belief, while feeling a sense of doubt, is acceptable to God. You were not rejected. So, uh, let's see here. Um, okay, uh, Kaylin, um, what does it mean to store your treasures in heaven? Why would we need treasures in heaven when all of our needs will be met there? Um, oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. So, treasures in heaven refers to eternally good things, things that last forever. That, that's one thing, right? Whatever it is that whatever these treasures are, we're not given a detailed description of them. Whatever they are, they're eternal. They never wear out. They never get old. Moth and rust don't destroy them. Thieves don't break in and steal them. They last forever. That's the idea. So it's, I'm trading this temporary, temporary life for things that last forever. Um, and uh, why would we need them when all of our needs are met there? Well, you don't need them. But, they're, but think about this. How much of your life is blessed by things you don't need? Like, I didn't need that, that hamburger but it was nice. You know, like I could have had, you know, just beans and rice every day, which that wouldn't be so bad either. But, uh, but no, I, I get other things as well. So it's treasures in heaven aren't about needs. It's about, I think, blessings and, um, and perhaps things you can give to God, um, as we cast our crowns before him, perhaps. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, dude, I'm looking for a question mark on somebody's thing. Okay. Abbot Lore says, thank you for your time and effort uh, for your videos. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, what are your opinions on, I'm trying to, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm having a time reading this question. What your opinions were on interfaith prayer with other religions? Oh, for example, would it be wrong to pray with Mormons, Muslims, pagans? I don't really feel like I could, 
I'm sure there's some scenario where I would absolutely pray with a Mormon, a Muslim, or a pagan for that matter, but not in the sense that I'm going to act like their belief system is approved by God, right? Like I'll pray with, hey, can I pray with you? My Mormon friend, my pagan friend, um, my Muslim friend, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? But I wouldn't pray with them in the sense that's in some sense affirming their beliefs. And at that point, the point at which my my actions now are affirming their beliefs as though they're true or acceptable to God, that's when I can't do it. So it's kind of situational in my opinion. Okay. Um, I'll take like three more questions then I'm going to call it a day. So thanks guys for being with me. Uh, Caroline Valentine says, do you have a video on the Holy Spirit? Um, I have some teachings in my Roman series. If you go to my YouTube channel and you go to the playlist on Romans, um, when I get to Romans 12, I talk about some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and other than that, um, you could go to BibleThinker.org, my website, and just search the term Holy Spirit and anything where I've put that tag in the video description, it will show up. Uh, but I don't have like a comprehensive study where I say, let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is. And that's like the whole message. I haven't done that yet. Um, I'm going to scroll down a bit. Okay. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Meta Skipper says, I actually found you through James White's response to your video on Calvinism and going through your work. I've been very blessed. Thanks for your work. Hey, thanks, James White. <laughs> so that's great, Meta Skipper. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Um, Will Brown asks, would an infant's salvation be sort of different from a young person or adult? I, yeah, I think in a sense it's different. I mean, ultimately, any eternal life we have is going to be received through Jesus Christ. So we're not saying that the source of the salvation is different. But there's something different about, you know, being saved out of this sort of state of ignorance and innocence because of lack of accountability versus being saved because you've placed your faith and trust in Christ knowingly and deliberately. Um, that would be different. Um, but the source is still going to be Jesus either way. I mean, life comes from him. In him is life. If you don't, he doesn't give you life, you don't have it. <laughs> so I'll take... Um, Two more. Forgive me for skipping a bunch of your guys' questions. I apologize. Um, Set Apart asks, have you heard a man named William Branham and could you make a video exposing him as a false prophet? I'm sorry, I haven't heard of William Branham. Um, I'm sorry, Set Apart, I, I have not heard of him at all. So I don't know anything about that. And... Okay, last question for today. I'll take from Nick Estrada. He asks, how close are we to the rapture on current events? Do you think Christ will come in our lifetime? Okay. Um, so no more questions. This is the last one. Um, I think it's unwise for us to predict the timing of the rapture. And I think the Bible seems to encourage this as well. Now, don't get me wrong. I grew up, uh, I mean, as a Christian, my Christian life, my Christian growth happened in an environment around many people who were saying that they thought they could predict the rapture. And they said things about what Russia was doing was confirming the rapture. I remember in the 70s, uh, not in the 70s, because I don't remember the 70s, but um, but in a video from the 70s, they talked about how the mark of the beast was the barcode that you get on the back of products. This is my gum, by the way. Um, but the barcode represented 666 and that you would have to take the barcode tattooed on your hand or your forehead. You guys know what movie I'm talking about? And um, and that you were required to do this. In, you know, And they were basically saying, we can already see it, the mark of the beast. Then now there's people going, the mark of the beast is that chip you get to that gives you access to like, your smart home or your smart job. Um, I'm just like thinking, you guys, you keep being wrong. Learn a lesson. <laughs> no man knows the day or the hour. 
I'm interested in the stuff going on with Israel and the stuff with the potential rebuilding of the temple potential, but there could be like this giant war that sets everything back 500 years for all I know. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I want to be ready for him if he comes back today or, or tomorrow. But throughout history, everyone thinks they can predict it and they all get it wrong. And the Bible seems to make it clear. You can't predict it. Stop trying. That's, that's my encouragement is live ready for Jesus to come back today or in the lives of your great, 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 great grandchildren. Either way, you want to be ready, which means you can't say, I don't have to plan for retirement because the rapture is coming. I don't have to worry about, you know, you know, how I'm going to make a living or buy a home because the rapture is coming. That's not wise. And that's, I don't think, you know, what, what scripture uh, declares. So that's about it. Hey, God bless you guys. I've had a great time. Um, I have another interview tomorrow on JMD Apologetics, another YouTube channel that's coming on tomorrow. Got so much going on in life at the moment, but it's a big blessing. So um, thanks for joining me. And I'm just stalling while I'm trying to find out how to stop my stream. (laughs) Where's the button? God bless you guys. I'm going to have to count one, two, three.